Kindergarten through third grade, uh, if you want, you are dismissed for junior church. Um, Mr. Cole back there will guide you in the right direction if you're new to Garden Chapel. And um, there's a bunch of them, so there they go. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18 this morning. By the way, I don't know if some of you could see, but this ought to be our view when we come before God. I saw one of our little gals come in here, and uh, when she saw Chrissy, she just comes in and is like giving her a big hug. And that's the way we ought to see our relationship with God. We want to be close to Him and, and uh, just be excited about His presence. And um, as you sing, and hopefully as we look at the Word of God, you'll see that we have a God... Okay, now I have it on. Okay, thank you. Uh, we have a God that is absolutely worthy of our praise because he has absolutely done great things and continues to do that. A few weeks ago, I had never heard of this before. I was kind of flipping through that thing on the, the TV that gives you all the different programs. And I saw this program. I have no what idea what channel it was on. I don't know if it's been on for a long time or it was two programs or whatever. But the name of it intrigued me. It said, Broke and Famous. And I thought, I want to see what that's about. Did anybody ever see that? You didn't miss anything if you didn't. So maybe I'm the only person that saw it. I don't know. Maybe that's how popular it is. But it got my attention. Because you, you look at it and you say, well, if somebody is famous, they probably made money and people, you know, they got life pretty easy. And it was about, um, I only saw, I think, two programs of it, but it would be, and I looked it up, it, like rock stars and celebrities and famous people who had businesses and um, actors and people like that who made millions and millions of dollars. And the next thing you know, they lost everything. They had to sell their mansions. They had to sell their fancy cars. Uh, and they were down to basically begging off of their friends to, to make it through the next week. Broke and famous. Shouldn't be in the same category. This morning, we're going to look at someone who was famous and broke, but not because he didn't have money. In fact, is he had all kinds of money. The description I see in the Bible is what I would call he was filthy rich. And you'll see why I came to that conclusion. But this man had everything. You may know the story. It's the account of the rich young ruler. He was young, he was rich, he was known, and he was a ruler. So he had position and power. He was the kind of guy that you would look at and say, he has everything. In fact, there's one more thing that's true. He was probably the person you wanted as your neighbor. He was probably the nicest guy, a real gentleman. Never wronged anyone. That's what the Bible presents him as. And you go... Hey, that guy's the right kind of guy. Maybe he's right with God. The answer is no. He was spiritually broke. Even though he had all the things that the world had to offer, he didn't have what God had to offer. And that's our message. It's always our message here at Garden Chapel because that's the message of the Bible. Christ, we've been singing about it, but Christ has done everything for us. And we cannot merit salvation. We cannot inherit salvation. It is something that someone has done for us. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with doing good things and being the nice guy that I believe this guy was and being the good neighbor and helping other people. Nothing wrong with any of those things. I hope you'll all do that. But that is not what gives you a right standing with God. That only comes through Jesus Christ. So let's pick this up in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 18. It says, a ruler questioned him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You got a few things right and a few things wrong. And by the way, this account is found in three gospels. It's found here in Luke. It's also found in Matthew. It's also found in Mark. And each one of them adds some additional details. In Mark, it makes it clear he ran up to Jesus. So he wasn't just kind of like, oh, there's Jesus. Maybe I'll go talk to him. He comes running up to him. I think this is sanctified imagination because the Bible doesn't say this, but this is my take on this. You can take it or leave it. I believe he was the kind of guy that knew that he did a lot of good things. And he had his life under pretty much, uh, pretty much under control. But he got this twinge of conscience. Here's Jesus, the guy who's doing miracles and healing people and feeding people and doing all kinds of things. And the, the word was going around. He's like, you know what? I wonder if there's something wrong with me. And I believe he had a ang- little bit of an anxiety attack. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to ask him if I'm okay. Now, I believe he believes he's going to get a positive answer and say, hey, you've got it all together. In fact, is Jesus' answer to him, he doesn't say you're a rotten, low-down scoundrel. He doesn't say that at all. He just says, you know what? You're okay, but you lack something. And that's exactly what it says here. So he comes and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I know something about inheritance. Both of my parents passed away uh, a couple of years ago, and finally the estate got settled, what, two weeks ago, I believe it was, two weeks ago. By the way, that's my wife, in case anybody doesn't know. Uh, she knows all the answers to the, the questions of life. Uh, <laughs> if I say the wrong thing, then I'll go home, and she'll say, Paul, you got that wrong again. So I'll just ask her right up front. Anyway, you know what? Inheritance wasn't anything I earned or anything I deserved. All I had to do when they, they finalized it, I had to sign a piece of paper that said I agree that everything's been taken care of and all my siblings did the same thing. But inheritance is something that's given to you. He had it partly right, but I know that that's not his whole thought pattern because I know what the rest of the story says. The rest of the story goes on to say... Uh, Jesus comes to him and says, or comes back to him and says, well, you know the commandments. And uh, if you wish to enter into um, the life, keep the commandments. Remember, they were living under the law at that time. And the rich young man responds back, which ones? Yeah, which ones? It's not in Luke. It's in one of the other ones. It's which ones? Because guess what? It wasn't simply the Ten Commandments, and it wasn't all the other commandments that were found in the Old Testament under the law, but the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of that day, had added hundreds and hundreds of additional laws, burdening people down with legalism. And they did indeed believe that if they were good enough, they would make it to heaven. They would be okay. This young man was 
along with them, trying to keep those things. In fact, as I know, when Jesus uh, quotes the commandments, he not only quotes from the Ten Commandments, but he adds, do not defraud. And he also adds a one from Deuteronomy. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's looking at it and saying, there's a bigger picture here uh, about what we need to do. The point of the Ten Commandments, by the way, and all the Old Testament commandments, were to show us that we could not do it on our own. We were not good enough. That was the best you could do. But the end of the story says, what is not possible with men is possible with God. We need to understand we are not capable of keeping the commandments, much less keeping them good enough to get to heaven and to be right with God. And so he asked him, you know, what are these commandments that I need to keep? And he said, and this is just reading what it says here, do not commit adultery. Adultery has to do with unfaithfulness. He said, young man, are you faithful to your wife? To, or, or if you're, you know, are you faithful to your spouse? Uh, are you faithful to your commitments and the, and the contracts you make and all that? Because he was obviously someone who had the ability to make money. And we know he was rich, but it wasn't just he had bags of money someplace in the bank. It says that he had much property. So I don't know what kind of uh, business he had. Maybe he had farms he rented out. Maybe he had apartments. Maybe he had businesses, industrial complexes. I have no clue. It doesn't tell us. It just says he was rich and he had a lot of property. And, and that's what he had. He, he had a lot of real estate. But have you been faithful to your commitments, particularly to your wife? He says, do not murder. Life is valuable. Other people have the right to live, and you don't have the right to take it away. Do not steal. Personal property, and this is very important to remember this, personal property is not anti-biblical, because you might get that idea later if you don't know the context. He says, somebody else has the right to have property, and you have no right to take it away from them. There is a right to personal property. And then he goes on to say, and don't bear a false witness. When you bear false witness, what do you do? You wreck someone else's reputation. You are testifying in, and basically in court against them, saying, I know the truth, but it's really false witness. And uh, you are wrecking the other person's reputation, their life, ultimately. Then he goes on to say that uh, you are to honor your mother and father. That word simply means to treat as valuable. When you're living at home under your parents' roof and they're paying the bills and all that good stuff, it's not only honor, respect, and treat them valuably as as with value, but it's also obedience. Once you leave, it doesn't mean, okay, now I don't care what my parents say anymore or care anything about my parents. No, honor goes right up to the very end. It never goes away. We are to honor those who have uh, authority and have the right to be respected by us. But he also added in, in Mark, he says, do not defraud. It simply means this, don't do shady deals. He was a businessman of some sort. We don't know exactly what. But make sure that when you have a deal, it's a good deal. 
You're allowed to make money. You're allowed to be a good businessman. But don't rip other people off. And then he says, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember Jesus in another passage uh, made it clear when they came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? They asked a singular question. What is the greatest commandment? He answered a, had an answer that was a two-part answer. He said, love God with everything you are, with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There are three loves there. Love the Lord first, love your neighbor, take care of him, and you need to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your neighbor. It just works that way. So he is using this many times, and it's quoted several times in the New Testament. He says to this young man, These are the commandments. You know what his answer is? He says, all these things I have kept since my youth. Jesus doesn't say you're lying. He doesn't say you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't say, uh, you know, you're trying to fool me. He doesn't say any of those things. He takes this young man at face value. Now, I've got to tell you, if, if he's that kind of guy in business... I want to do business with him, right? That's the kind of person you want to do business with. This is the kind of person you want as your neighbor, your friend. You want to rub shoulders with this person because they're not going to try to kill you. They're not going to steal from you. They're not going to defraud you. fact is, they're going to go out of your way to help you. He loves his neighbor. He said, I've done all of those things. That sounds great, doesn't it? It is great. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's not the end of it. Jesus says to him in verse 22, he says, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, if you take this, as some people do, it's like, well, if you're a Christian, you have to sell everything you have and give it away. This is not just a general statement. This is to a man and I believe I can give you the bottom line of this, who was an idolater. He had an idol. He had another God, and he was covetous. You see, five commandments that had to do with interacting with his fellow man, he got them pretty good. Jesus didn't argue with him and say, no, no, you're ripping off your bad business guy and you know those kinds of things. He didn't say that at all. But he says, you, you lack something. You see, the word covet, and that's the last commandment, is an attitude. It's an interior motive that we have. It means that I have a delight in and a desire for things. The commandment says, don't covet your neighbor's house and his wife and his animals and all those kinds of things. It's a delight in having things. And it goes so far as, I want what the other person has. He had everything. His focus was on the things he had. No, he didn't rip other people off. He was nice to other people. The New Testament, in case you think, well, hey, you know what? He did pretty good. Humanly speaking, he did. That was under the law. In the New Covenant, in the church, it goes a step further than that. Because it says... You've heard it said, don't murder, don't kill somebody, don't premeditatedly take their life. But in the New Testament, it says that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. The law says, 
Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on your spouse. The New Testament says if you look with lust on someone else, you're already an uh, uh, adulterer. And when it talks about covetousness, it says that if you're a covetous person, you're actually an idolater. You have a false god. Something that takes the place of God. And that's what an idol is. It's anything that gets between you and God. And obviously this young man, when Christ looks at somebody, he looks straight through right to the heart of the issue. Doesn't see the outside like we do. He knows the motives. He knows the attitude. He knows the thought process. He knows the emotions. He knows all of that. And he answers right to the core issue. The core issue was money, things, property were his God. That he was covered. So he got five right. And he said, you've broken three. The only one it doesn't say anything about that I can tell is don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't use it bad, uh, badly. So he looks at it and he says, but you got something to do. You need to get rid of, and I'm going to tell you this, you got to get rid of your idol. The thing that you desire, the thing that is your God, the thing that is your object of worship is your riches. He's not asking us to get rid of all of our property. You would become destitute and then you would need somebody to help you. That's not it at all. This is very specific to this man. One of the things about our possessions and money and all those things that we have, by the way, that can include the position, the power, the prestige, all of those things we have. Do they control us or do we control them? Do you use them correctly or do they control your life? In this case, his possessions controlled him. And that's why Jesus said, you, you have a problem. Verse 23 says, but when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. He was not just well off. He was, and that's why I said filthy rich. The, the word could be excessively rich or exceedingly rich. Or as it says in the version I just read, extremely rich. Nothing wrong with that. There are some extremely rich people in the Bible, and they were godly people. And God never told Job or Abraham or any of, or Solomon or David, get rid of all your things. He never told them that. But if it becomes your idol and your focus, that's the problem. And that was his problem. And it says he became very sad. When you look that word up, here's what it comes down to. He was grieved and sad to the point that he physically was ill. They call that, uh, I lost the word, so I can't use it now. All of a sudden I lost it. Anyway, his mind, his emotions were at the point where it made him sick. So he was affected greatly by this whole thing. He had kept some of the law, and he could say, I kept it. I'm doing okay in this, 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 and this. But when it comes down to it, James chapter 2, verse 10 says it this way. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. 
Now, I don't want anybody to do this. You could do an experiment if you wanted to. I don't recommend it. But if you leave here sometime today and you go down Rosedale, the, the local police like to sit at the next church down here. If you go flying by there and you get a ticket, you go, oh, I only broke one log. I was going 35 in the, in the 25. Uh, I've never done that. It's usually four. Oh, no, that's right. You shouldn't know that. Uh, I know. My wife tells me, you're going to get caught one of these days. And I'm not telling you that's good. I'm just saying. But if you break that law, you are a lawbreaker in Pennsylvania. You only broke one law, but you're a lawbreaker in Pennsylvania. This young man did a lot of good. He had a good reputation, it seems, with everyone around him. But he was not living up to God's standard. There were people standing around. And these people that were standing around uh, were, were looking at what's going on. And uh, they said, well, then who can be saved? They looked around. They're, like a, they're listening to the conversation. They're kind of around this whole thing. And they're like, well, if it's that way, who in the world could ever be saved? Well, the word says that it is hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not some vague notion. The kingdom of God, according to John chapter 3, is only entered into by a new birth, by believing in Jesus Christ. You have a personal relationship where you have personally invited him into your life. This young man had invited riches. Nothing wrong with the riches, but they were the controlling factor. Jesus was not. And these people are looking around saying, well, this guy's a good guy. We know him. He's a good guy. If he doesn't make it, we're in really big trouble. And so they're like, who can be saved? And Jesus' answer was this. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Nobody can keep all the law. You just can't do it. In fact, the law was given to prove to us that we were sinners incapable of living a perfect life. It showed us up. It was that big spotlight shining right on and say, you did it. You're wrong. Doesn't matter if it's a lot of things or a few. Last week we talked about the, the woman that came in and was wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and washing them with her hair and anointing them and kissing his feet. Uh, she said there she was a sinner, and she had many sins. But Jesus said, she's the kind of person I'm looking for, someone who acknowledges their problem. This man didn't acknowledge his problem. He thought he was okay. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's why Jesus Christ came. He didn't come to die for good people. He didn't come to die for people who had it all together. He died for sinners in our place. None of us could keep the law. That's impossible to do except for Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He came and kept the law absolutely perfectly. No one else did. And then he voluntarily, of his own accord, died in my place. He took my punishment, your punishment. So that when you could trust him, his merits, what he had done for us, can be applied to our life. That is not something is possible for me to do. Only God can do that. 
Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He did that on our behalf. We were sinners. He died for sinners. And then he offers us a free gift. That gift is to be born again, to have our sins forgiven, to be a part of the kingdom of God. You cannot be a part of the kingdom of God without being born again. That's the bottom line message of all Christianity. You can't make it on your own, but Christ has done it for you. I'd like to give you a really good, happy ending to this story. There are a lot of stories in the Bible where, you know, it's broken, famous, and then they get turned around and they're back and they're back on their feet again and everything's hunky-dory the rest of their lives. Sorry, but this story doesn't have that ending. We don't know what happened to this rich young ruler. We simply do not know what happened to him. I would like to think that after a while he goes, oh, yeah, I get it now. But we don't know that. But I like the way it ends for this service, for this sermon. Because if you're sitting here and you go, you know what? I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I've ever really trusted Jesus. I really don't know if my sins are forgiven. I really am not sure I'm going to heaven. Don't leave here with that. You don't need to. It's not some long, drawn-out process. It's a matter of I acknowledge who I really am. I cannot meet God's standards. I'm a sinner. But I do know someone who has met them, and he offers me what he has done on my behalf. He died for my sins. He died in my place. His blood covered the sins of the whole world. And he says, if you're willing to trust me, you can be a part of the kingdom of God. You can be born again. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have a life that's worth living here and now and an absolute life for all eternity worth looking forward to. I don't know where you are. You only know that. this. I, I don't harangue people and I don't use uh, emotional tactics. That's worthless. But if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, young man, young lady, old man, Well, you can't say old lady. Elderly lady. (laughs) I want to stay out of trouble. I have no problem telling the truth, but you you want to be tactful too. You know what? The whole point is, if God is speaking to you, we're going to stand up here in a moment, and uh, we're going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to sit back down because the uh, referee is coming up here. So, uh, and uh, give you instructions. So let's all just stand together and pray. And I want you, you don't have to listen to me, but if God is working in your life and saying, you need to trust Jesus because you're not sure that you ever had, you're still depending on you're your okay or you're doing the right things, you know, trust him. Just admit to him you're a sinner, that you know Christ died for you, and that you want him to forgive your sin, take over your life, and give you that new life that's only available in Christ. Father, thank you so much that you give us the truth. You give it to us straightforward, like in the book of Romans, like a legal decree. But you also give it to us in stories, in accounts of real people, with real problems, with a real answer. Lord, thank you that what we cannot do for ourselves, you have already done for us. And yes, indeed, we can inherit something that we don't deserve, something we didn't work for, but that someone else has worked on our behalf.
Lord, I pray if anyone has not, doesn't know that they've trusted Christ, that in the quietness of this moment, that they would just admit their sinners and, and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one that died for them and ask him to forgive their sin and to take over their life. Lord, thank you for the work that you do in all of our lives. Thank you for your blessings. And thank you that you're a God that is so much above, so much greater, that you've done everything for us. You loved us that much. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.